Swiss psychologist Carl Jung said, Your vision will become clear only when you look into your heart. Who looks outside dreams? Who looks inside awakens? In this week's episode, we're going to look at some psychological and philosophical ideas that can help provide organizing principles for artistic development. Welcome to Starling. I'm Amy Markham. Thanks for joining me here to connect with your creative practice. So I will start this episode by saying that today's conversation is going to be a little abstract, psychological, philosophical. It's a bit of a departure from my previous episodes, but I guess that's what happens when I take a week off from recording an episode or planning an idea and just spending time in my head. Lately in my day-to-day life as a middle school art teacher, I've been laying the groundwork for the year by teaching about the elements of art and principles of design. If you're a visual artist, then you probably know about these ideas. Basically, the seven elements of art are line, color, texture, shape, space, form, and value. And we organize them into a composition by using the principles of design to create an aesthetically pleasing work of art. Think about things like balance, repetition, pattern, variety. These are organizing structures that are important for an artist to learn and understand so that they can develop their relationship with these elements and principles that lead them to their own personal style. Every art form has things like that, um, things that are arranging or organizing principles for effective work. Think about theme and variation in music, or for that matter, chord progression. Dance has their forms, and culinary arts have their methods. You can't bake a cake without certain components present. No matter what method you want to express through, there are best practices that help organize what you want to create. So that got me thinking about organizing principles for artists that actually transcend what it is you're trying to make. Ways that artists maintain structure in not only what they create, but within themselves as artists in general. As we start this conversation, I'm going to ask that you think about this week's episode like we're just putting pins in a bulletin board to mark some ideas that we'll probably come back to and places for you to start your own exploration. So I brought up the elements of art and principles of design because the organizing principles are very effective in helping artists produce a work of art that communicates well. But that is all about the external process of creation. It is about how we communicate effectively once you have formed your ideas. Yet there are invisible organizing structures that an artist must use that are psychological and philosophical in nature because a lot of the work that an artist does happens in the internal world of thoughts and imagination, which got me thinking about organizing principles for artists in their inner world. So I guess we need to talk a little bit about the difference between the inner world and the outer world. Have you had that experience of visualizing an idea for a work of art in your mind's eye, and then that frustrating experience of trying to bring that into the physical as a work of art, or even had an idea for a story, but the words you write just won't express the understandings that you have in your thoughts? I hear students say things like, it looks so much better in my mind, and you see, The images that we carry in our head have a lot of emotional content. They have a lot of 
personally understood thoughts that are embedded within them that make it easier for us to see them in our mind than create them with our hands. The world that is in our head is not objective reality. It's internal and personal reality. It's not surprising that all that trying to figure out how to communicate with the internal world makes it external process seem difficult, if not impossible. So here's where I'm going to tell you to put that pin in the board for an idea. And this idea is about Plato's forms. And I will preface this by saying that I like to dabble in philosophy, but I'm not super well-versed. So these are merely my own interpretations of Plato's forms and how they connect with my understanding of artistic expression. So Plato was a Greek philosopher, student of Socrates, teacher of Aristotle, and basically Plato kind of created metaphysics, which is a branch of philosophy that deals with abstract concepts and the nature of our existence. Plato developed the two-world theory, which says that there is a visible world, the world that we perceive with our senses, and an intelligible world. And that's where he considered there to be a world of perfect forms. This theory of forms basically said that The world that we know through our senses is only an imitation of a pure, eternal, unchanging world of forms. Things in our visible world change, and we only understand them through our senses, which limits our understanding. But for Plato, in the intelligible world, uh, which is abstract and invisible and non-changing, there exists a perfect form of everything that exists here in our visible world. What we think of as real here is even more real, more true over there in the world of forms. And he proposed that the life that we're experiencing here in the visible world is just a shadow of what exists over in that intelligible world of forms. I read that the idea of forms came partially from watching stonemasons do carvings. You see, a master carver would create a wooden template or a form that any aspiring stonemason could acquire, and then copy that form until he perfected it himself. So it became a blueprint for what the carving should be, and with practice, any stonemason could eventually match their master's form, but it could never be the form. As far as the part where he said that our world is a shadow world, the easiest way I can think of to explain this to you is to have you think about your own shadow. Now, depending on your relationship to a light source, that shadow is either nearly true to your form or it's incredibly distorted. Plato says that we must always be trying to get our understanding to the truest version of the form and never be satisfied with distortion. The reason I bring up Plato's forms is that this concept has helped me understand why the art we create never matches that idea that's in our mind. We are literally trying to find the truest version of our idea and bring it through from the world of forms into our sense-based world, and it will always be a shadow of that truest form. For me personally, I've realized that letting go of the image in my head completely as I begin to work on a piece gives me the best chance to even get close to the actual essence of what I'm trying to create. Now, Plato had interesting opinions about art that I don't really agree with. But 
Art at the time of ancient Greece was very different than where the arc of art history has placed us today. So we can't really know whether his ideas would be the same anyway. He believed that art was a copy of a copy of a form. And I get that. Like, if you're looking at a still life, then it is a, you're drawing a copy of what you see, which is already a copy of a form. But I just don't subscribe to Plato's idea that art is always a copy of a copy of a form because there are things that we can create as artists that don't actually have physical existence here. And in that way, it may be the closest version of understanding that form that could exist in our visible world. Plato wasn't around for abstract expressionism or any of the modern art that tries to express emotional understanding through artistic interpretation. Think about the way artists try to convey what love might look like or the way tragedy feels, and that can be done through a painting or through a film. It can only be understood metaphorically and symbolically if an artist is able to create a shadow version of a form that otherwise doesn't exist here. The idea that there is a realm which contains the ideal form of something like our personal relationships, our memories, or our identity roles is interesting as an organizing structure for me as an artist. Which leads me to the next pin in the board, archetypes. Carl Jung was a Swiss psychologist who founded analytical psychology. He is known for his ideas around consciousness, the personal unconscious, the universal unconscious, and especially for his ideas about archetypes. Archetype is a Greek word that means pattern, and archetypes are connected to the idea of the collective unconscious. You can think of the collective unconscious as a structure for the unconscious mind, which isn't personal or individual, but is actually shared by all of humanity. The collective unconscious can draw from ancestral memories of all mankind. You know that chart of the evolution of man that shows the ape-like form of of us and then how it evolves into the human form? I think of the collective unconscious as the evolution of the psyche in the same way. It's just that there won't be a picture that we can use that references it, and it's not separate. It's all one thing. So it would be a continuous evolution of our thoughts and our ideas and our consciousness, one place where all the understandings of human development and our symbolic understandings of everything are held and that we all have access to. It is where the sameness of our human existence and experience arises from. It is the realm where our dreams and our art and our mythologies come from. It is the place that is inspiration. And according to Jung, this is also where the archetypes reside. Archetypes are psychic structures that are common to all people and set up the predispositions that we are born with that cause us to think, feel, perceive, and act in certain ways. They are connected to our instincts and our patterns of behavior. Although Jung said that there was no limit to the amount of archetypes, he identified 12, and they are basically like this, the jester, Outlaw, explorer, creator, hero, magician, sage, ruler, innocent, everyman, caregiver, and lover. They go by other names as well and can be expanded on to be even more individualized. Jung 
also discussed the persona, which is the mask that we wear for our social interactions. It's like a 2D version of ourselves. The anima or animus, which is the opposite sex self, and then the shadow, which is the part of you that you don't want to face or accept. And the fully realized self is the self that connects all the components. Now, Jung didn't think that we could directly perceive archetypes, that it could only be experienced through images and symbols that arise through internal observations in something like dream work, where we analyze our dreams. He believed that archetypes themselves manifested symbols, metaphors, arts, and myths that transcend our physical divisions like race, class, geographical locations. And this is easily seen in studies of comparative religion or even studies of art history. Researchers, including people like Joseph Campbell, have been able to compare and collect myths, legends, and religions from cultures around the world and have been fascinated to discover that people who have had no contact with each other have been able to pass down stories that have similar characters, motifs, and events. Incredibly similar characters, motifs, and events. And while many people have tried to explain this phenomenon, it's Jung's ideas of the collective unconscious and the archetypes that introduced a theory that just worked. This idea that all humans have access to a storehouse of information within the collective unconscious, and that this information includes archetypes that influence our own way of being and behavior is inspiring. Jung's work has been inspirational to many people, including artists, artists like Mark Rothko and Jackson Pollock, as well as many of the other abstract expressionists, writers like Jack Kerouac, and many filmmakers. Jung's influence on modern culture is profound, and you can see his ideas translate through countless books and films, comics, and even video games. Jung offered this interesting analogy. He said, Personal causes have as much or as little to do with a work of art as the soil with the plant that springs from it. He said that true art is supra-personal, a force which has escaped from the limitations of the personal and has soared beyond the personal concerns of its creator. He mentioned, too, that he believed that the creative impulse had an autonomous nature that happened outside of personal consciousness— this, he believed, could be seen in the symbolic nature of artistic expression. For, for Jung, the artist had an incredible social significance, as an artist is constantly working with primordial images to educate and prepare us for the spirit of an age. And he believed that visionary artists were able to transcend and become that conduit between the past and the present, the conscious and the unconscious, and offer visions of beauty and meaning that cannot be formed with words. Jung poetically said that all art intuitively apprehends coming changes in the collective unconscious. He also believed art to be a method through which an individual can confront and understand their own personal subconscious and work through any issues that they have, including trauma. He encouraged his patients to create artwork from their dream landscape. This would be a way for them to understand more fully their own connection to their personal subconscious. He was a strong believer in dream analysis. 
Jung was an artist himself, and I believe that Jung's fundamental question within his own work seemed to be to try to understand his relationship to his religion of Christianity, to esoteric and alchemical ways of thinking. So at this point, you're probably wondering, why is she bothering to talk to me about Plato's forms or Jung's archetypes? Well, as I was teaching my young art students about organizing design principles artists use to create successful works of art, I just want us to consider how artists structure their internal worlds, and it seems relevant to consider some philosophical and psychological ideas, and I like these ones. Plato's forms helps me orient my understanding of why it doesn't seem possible to match an idea in my head to a work of art I create. It allows me to understand that as we're trying to get as close as possible to the perfect version of a form of whatever idea it is that I'm working with, it will always be a shadow of that because we're in this physical world. And then Jung. I love Jung's ideas. It helps me to understand my relationship to ideas in general, and it makes me feel connected to other people to think that we all pull from a universal unconsciousness that all of humanity is working from. It also gives me a way to further explore my own understanding of who I am and my identity by trying to understand archetypal patterns. As I was at Dragon Con last weekend in Atlanta and I was looking around at all these people dressed in amazing costumes, it struck me how strong our connection is with archetypal understanding. We all have characters that we connect with and feel a kinship to, and some people will spend hours of devotion in the creative process of designing costumes that honor the characters that speak to them. This feels ritualistic in a way. As for me, I had an Edward Scissorhands costume and a Lydia Dietz costume, and I made the realization that Both of those characters connect with the most precious character of my childhood, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You see, when I was a little girl, I wore a piece of red construction paper taped to my nose for like six months because I connected with Rudolph so much. Looking at these characters that I feel the most kinship to and understanding of, I realized that I must in some way identify with that underdog idea or the underdog hero archetype. Underdog archetype is ancient. Think back to when David fights Goliath. And more modern, when Harry Potter fights Voldemort, or Jack fighting a giant at the top of a beanstalk, or Neville Longbottom, or Katniss Everdeen. These are characters that have to overcome adversity in some way to be seen for the hero that they truly are. They're often our most lovable heroes because they seem the most human in a way. We can see our own fears and our own vulnerabilities manifest in these characters and follow through to see what successful outcomes might look like. They make it okay for us to be different. Through them, we understand our own relationship to overcoming what might otherwise hold us back. So I'm thankful for my red nose that I could wear when I was a child or my silly Edward Scissorhands costume. But there is a reason that's very deep that we all connect with these archetypal sort of characters, and exploring those can help us develop our internal organizing structures as an artist. Sure, illustrators, writers, filmmakers all work with character development, but we can all learn and benefit from working with archetypes. It's bigger than just character development. 
because it helps us understand ourselves, and it helps us understand others. And Lord knows that right now, the way our world is, we need to be trying to understand each other. I read something that kind of shook me when I was researching stuff on Jung. Jung believed that societies that were overly connected to the idea of persona, you know, that's the mask that we wear to participate socially, that if we were invested in that mask and not developing our true understanding of our own individual personality, our full self, our whole self, and that if we weren't trying to realize that when we see problems with others, it's just projections of our own shadow self, well, that that puts us at risk for oppressive governments. When I read that, it made me think that it sure seems like we all have a lot of work to do in understanding ourselves so that we can bring the best to our world. I'm going to be linking information on archetypes and their different forms in the show notes for you to explore on your own. Developing philosophical understandings and psychological understandings actually will become a framework for our artistic development. And this is just a tiny tip of the iceberg as far as discussions like this go. I barely touched Plato, I barely touched Jung, and I really want to encourage you to explore areas that aren't always examined as artistic source material. Our inner world can manifest amazing works of art when we are unafraid of exploration there in both our personal unconscious and our collective unconscious. Our internal world is more than our emotions. It's more than our thoughts. It is a structure that is being built from whatever we expose it to. And artists should always be looking for new ideas and concepts that can expand and develop our inner organizing principles. There are so many philosophers and so many theories about psychological understandings to investigate that will expand our frame of reference. I just wanted to start this conversation and get you thinking about what you know so far and what your internal framework is already using um, to organize your artistic mindset. This could be a fundamental question to work with for a while. What are the internal organizing principles that guide my creative self? Think about things like, how is your inner world organized? What philosophical and psychological ideas are you aware of? Have you done any study into these ideas yourself? Why do you believe what you believe? These are difficult questions, but they are important to creative thinking, as we must be aware of the forms we already know, what we already work with, so that we can look for new forms or ideas or relate to new archetypes. Thinking that we have access to something somewhere in ourselves, something as exciting as the universal unconscious that is a storehouse of human symbolic understanding is amazing. And as an artist, I want to try to figure that out a little bit. So let me give you a few suggested practices for this week just to get the ball rolling. Consider looking into Plato's forms. Maybe look up Plato's cave because that one's interesting. It's connected. And You know, anything else that might strike you about his philosophical ideas. Maybe journal about it and write down your own reactions to these ideas. Then look into other philosophical ideas. I'm going to link some info in the show notes and give you some places to start. There's a really great YouTube channel called School of Life, which has quick introductions to lots of philosophers and philosophical ideas. 
Consider which organizing structures you've already been working with. How is your inner world organized? Has it helped you? Has it harmed you? How does it connect to your creative practice? If you're a visual artist, look at those elements of art and principles of design. It may have been a while since you considered them. How have you been using them in your work? Do these organizing structures help or harm your artwork? If you practice another form of art like music or dance, um, look at those organizing principles and see how it helps your form of art as well. For example, does knowledge of a certain position help you as a dancer? Or does understanding time signatures and scales help you as a musician? Create a new work of art around the idea of two worlds. You know, and it could be any of the two worlds, um, inner and outer world, personal and collective, uh, sense world versus intangible world of forms. Um, I'm going to suggest that you spend a, a good amount of time looking into the archetypes, trying to discover which ones you feel most connected to. I will make sure to add links in the show notes to good research information, but a great place to start is what characters do you love and why? And why do you connect to them? Plus, developing an understanding of archetypes will help us with some upcoming discussions I hope to have here. As usual, I really have barely scratched the surface of organizing inner principles for an artistic mindset. I have a lot of ideas that I want to discuss, and I want to develop some of the seeds that we are planting during this conversation in a later episode. I want to thank you for listening to my ramblings, and I hope those two pins that we put into the board this week make some sense. Next week, I have a friend visiting from out of town. She's a fellow creative of sorts, and I may do my first interview episode uh, if she's up for it. So I want to thank you for joining me. I hope that you will share any discoveries that this episode led you to on any of my social media platforms at Art Teacher Amy on Twitter, at The Starling Creative on Instagram, or on my Facebook page, Starling Creative Living. As usual, if you feel like sharing this episode or any of the episodes of Starling with a friend to help me keep this uh, little bird chirping, I would greatly appreciate it. Make sure to go back and check those show notes for all the information on Plato and Jung and archetypes and philosophy, maybe even the abstract expressionist, a playlist, and a recap of all of the practices that I just mentioned. So thanks again for joining me. And as always, enjoy your process.